Amen. That's a great connection. I'll talk a little bit about that, but hope each one of us in the room and even those online, you can consider how you can get engaged. Yesterday was a long day, and I was starting to preach. I was very nervous. But today, we're celebrating. Anybody know why? Pastor Josh, what? He's not here. Iron Man, that's right. Hey, let's give a big shout to Pastor Josh and thank him for that. He, yes, oh, <laughs> that's him. <laughs> He's smiling, that says it all. Yes, oh, you guys are very good up there. That was when he finished after 13 hours. I don't have my phone here with the, oh, 13 hours, 52 seconds, 14 hours, 24, 54 minutes, 21 seconds. I just drive four and a half miles to come to the church. <laughs> well, we thank God for that, you know, to, to swim almost two hours, to bike and to run. So you can just imagine all the time yesterday we were coming up here, the game was not over yet, the running was not over, so we waited. There was a watch party on our phones going on, tracking him. So God bless him, and it's all part of what you, the church, have done. For the last two years, we prayed, we worked hard, that God will bring the man of his choice to this church. We waited on him. Well, it's not only Iron Man, but the word of God, his biblical knowledge, theological accuracy, and the practical demonstration of ministry is what is going to cause us to continue to flourish. But also not a pastor, thank you. Not just a pastor that we preach biblically, theologically, but an amazing management, strategic planning background in leadership. And that's what we're experiencing. That will start to cascade. It's already in different parts of, of staff, but it will start to cascade to all of us here in, on staff. So we continue to pray, and each one of us here, this is what we are called to do. And so we went through those messages talking about transitions. And the goal of those messages that we are changed, we are transformed when we go through learning about transitions. There are many things biblically we learned and God has changed us. And we spend time talking about the mission of God. That is why we exist. If anyone is checking out Northland, so what do they believe, what do they do? Well, you can just start with transitions and made for mission what God has given this church and every church, you know, redeeming the people for all people so that we can reflect Christ in all spheres of life, all for his glory. That's the work we have to do. We started this series on the backstory of generosity and mine is like a hinge here with what the two messages Pastor Josh has given on the backstory of generosity, and he has another two to complete the series. So today, I'm just going to be talking about what is a partnering church look like? What are the evidences of a church that partners for the mission of God? If we want to be flourishing, we've got to stop just functioning. If we want to be flourishing, what are we doing to advance the gospel? We'll be looking from the book of Acts. I'll be in Acts chapter 16, if some of you want to anchor there, but mainly I'll, I'll be narrating the historical, the biblical uh, account that Dr. Luke wrote in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to the end, but also going to the book of Philippians. 
because that's the, that's the context. Uh, Acts 16 is the context of um, the book of Philippians. So we'll be doing that. What happened when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he was in the area of Asia, Turkey uh, today, preaching the word of God, moving along, and churches were planted, people were being saved, leadership was developed, and Paul had his own plans that he's going to go to other places in Asia. And then what we read about what we call the Macedonian call in the Bible, God is sovereign. He can choose any way to speak to people. God spoke to him and he said, you have to go to Europe. And so the first church that was planted in Europe was in the city of Philippi. And that was what we're going to be looking at. Paul arrived there with his team. They are preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. We'll see that and then bang. There was persecution. There was confusion. Things were not going as he had thought it would be. How does that advance the gospel? How does that become part of partnering in a church? And they were put in prison. He was locked up there. And what did he do? We'll find out in the text that we'll be looking at. And then now in prison, a second time, now he's in prison in Rome. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. He's under house arrest. He's limited. He can't go anywhere. But he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And that is what we're going to be learning from today. What did he write? What did he say? Now, if you, maybe this weekend, you can read the rest of the book of Philippians. But there are certain themes that we find in the book of Philippians. And the word is joy and rejoicing. Well, I just told you that Paul, when he went to Philippi, he was in prison. He was beaten up. We'll see that. Now he's in prison in Rome, and the book he writes is about be joyful, always rejoicing, giving thanks in all circumstances. But Paul also realized if a Christian is going to be joyful, if a follower of Jesus Christ is going to be joyful, there are things that come and steal your joy. And we all experience that. For him, circumstances, when he was in Philippi, the circumstances were not that good. You know, he said, yes, I preach. That was a good circumstance. I am beaten up. I am put in prison. But he said, rejoice and be joyful. So those are one of the, the, the joy stealers. The other joy stealers, first circumstance, second people. He ran into people that were just causing commotion when he left Philippi went to Thessalonica, but there's always people in our lives. At your place of work, you have people who just, you know, you don't just get along very well. You know, there are things that they are saying. So there are people, Paul says, people will steal your joy. And also he said, the other things that can steal your joy are things. You know, you want this, you can have this, you have this, you lost it. Things can steal your joy. And then finally he said, worry. You can be worried about so many things that all those can rob you of your joy. So in the book of Philippians, I'll give you a summary of those chapters before we dive into what will be. If circumstances are going to be in your family, in your marriage, in your place of work, in your local church, this is what Paul says. Have a single mind of Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever is my circumstance, I focus on Jesus Christ. So for people, for circumstance, a single mind. For people who just, you just can't get along with, well, you know, they're just kind of those naughty friends you have or family members, in-laws, outlaws, you name them. He said, have a submissive 
mind. And chapter 2 of Philippians is really what tells us about who Jesus was. Every time you want to see about yourself and other people, read Philippians chapter 2. So for people, a submissive mind. For things that are really complicating your life, making it difficult, have a spiritual mind of Christ. See everything through the lenses of King Jesus. Look at what will Jesus thinks about my, my, my things that I possess. And then in chapter 4, we all get worried about different things. We get worried for two years. We worried about pandemic. You worry about political things. You worry about this. You worry about that. Have a secure mind. So with that, we can see that to live for Christ, to be able to be thankful. So right in the book of Philippians, now in prison in Rome, he's writing to them. He's actually saying, thank you for the gift you sent me. But at the same time, he's also telling them, I want you to be able to be fully thinking about Jesus all the time. Have a heavenly mind with all these earthly things we go through. Fix your eyes on Jesus, and that's what he will do. So with that in mind, we're going to read um, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we read verse 10 to 20. If you're able and you can stand, please let's hear the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed. Indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well, fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things. I can do all, all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you. For even though I was in, and even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God be, to God and a Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, take the word now. We have heard, may we listen, may we understand and apply to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Like I said, if you have time, you can read the rest of the book of Philippians this weekend or any time. So we always give the main point, right? We're now used to that. We may, what is the main point? I'll say it in two ways. The main point, partnership is demonstrated by God's people flourishing. A flourishing church partners in God's mission. 
Partnership is demonstrated by God's people flourishing. A flourishing church partners in God's mission. We've heard a lot about God's mission and flourishing, not just functioning. But let me tell you a story from my country of birth in Sierra Leone, West Africa, that is there to me, uh, my people in my home country, and some Northlanders that have experienced what we call a partnering church. In about 1949, there was a US uh, Navy pilot. He was working here in this country, and he felt called to go to Sierra Leone, West Africa. So he took his family, his son, two sons, and two daughters, and they made the trip there, and they got themselves established, connected with the other missionaries that were already there. Others were planting churches, were teaching, were developing. In the country, there was a medical work that was going on. They were advancing the gospel. With his, so he joined them. Then tragedy hits that family. There was a boat accident that took place on, the, on a river, and the boat accident, the boat capsized, and some of the missionaries were drowned, and uh, some of the nationals were also drowned. And his son, who was just a one month shy of his eighth birthday, was pinned in the boat, and he died. Norm died, sadly, and they, that, that was a tragedy that confused the family. They decided to stay, but they would continue the work of the gospel in our country, to continue to teach, to continue to do medical work, to continue to engage in the family. So they continued to do that. And a few years later, there was a chapel that was erected in the, on the high school because Dr. Baker was out there just to do education, to do high school education, elementary education. They erected a chapel on the campus, which they got the name from the book of John, Greater Love Chapel. But thinking about that Greater Love Chapel. And as they continued to build schools, my wife, Jennifer, was one of those in the 60s went to their first primary school. So the first day for her in school, she wears a uniform. You know, they've come from the village, and she went to school. Guess what happened? She saw a white woman. And she cried, and she ran away from school. <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she ran away from school for a couple of days. But she started to see her other friends. You know, they are talking to the white people. They are not, you know, eating them up. So she joined the school. <laughs> she went through in elementary school. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She trusted Jesus, and her journey of discipleship started right there for a long journey over 40 plus years because through tragedy, a school, and confusion, the gospel was being advanced. Dr. Baker's son decided to come back to the States to go through medical school. So Ron came to the States, went through medical school, qualified, and took his own wife and children back to Sierra Leone to practice. Amazing doctor, he knew the language, he knew the food of the people, he knew the culture, he would do hunting and fishing. He was just immersed in the culture, run. So that was the work he was doing. Then when I was planning to get married back in 1983, we started in 1983, he was the one that really provided premarital counseling with some other pastors that poured into Geneva and our lives. And then in our wedding, their daughter, Jane, uh, Jennifer, 
was part of the bridal party. You know, she, she served as flower girl or whatever those years. And then we actually got married in the Greater Love Chapel because that was a place my wife was working advancing the gospel. So a few years ago, uh, Ron's sister had moved to Central Florida, Seminole County, and they were visiting churches. They attended Northland. And while she was here, she picked out one of these magazines, what we call now Engage. And there was an article written there about a story from Sierra Leone. And they took it back and called their mom and brothers and said, who is this guy, Augustine Gus Davis? And then they find out that it was you know, the ones that have received the gospel. So they decided to join Auckland, and they are now part of this congregation for, since 2007. And they are very involved in using their time, their talents, their gifts, their resources to advance the gospel. So a partnering church is the one we're going to look at, that these are the ways that we're able to advance the gospel. So I'm going to be talking about the marks or the evidence of a partner, partnering church is the proclamation of the gospel and evidence of the power of the gospel, persecution in the gospel, and possession. So let's start with the first point, the proclamation of the gospel. We go, I'll be going back and forth from the book of Acts and then I'll read in Philippians. In Acts chapter 17, uh, chapter 16, pardon, we see that Paul arrived in Philippi. The first thing they did, we read here was, they went to the place of prayer. A group of women had gathered to pray and Paul and his team showed up at this place and what did they do? He said, we believe that they stayed there for several days, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went to the riverside where there was a prayer. We sat down, verse 14, they listened, the women were listening to the proclamation of the gospel. Lydia was saved and her whole household. So Paul, wherever he went, his first base was, I want to declare King Jesus. I want people to hear why I'm here, Jesus Christ. So they were, they were proclaiming the gospel and people believed and they were saved as we read here because it said God opened the heart of Lydia and her household. She was a businesswoman, by the way. So uh, gospel can go into the marketplace, you know. There's always business as missions. You hear more about that down the road. So there was a business people who got saved and they were invited to Lydia's house and they showed um, kindness, hospitality to them and they were baptized. Where are we proclaiming the gospel with every opportunity we have? Where are the places and the relationships we have that it is about the gospel? You walk in a place, it's difficult for people because you will say you have to be culturally relevant. In, in the kingdom of God, he's not going to ask you about that. Did you proclaim Jesus Christ? Because there is no name under heaven that people can be saved except the name Jesus Christ. Proclaim Jesus in your home. Proclaim Jesus in your, in your community. Proclaim Jesus in your workplace. That was what pa Apostle Paul and his team were doing. Let it be known that I live for Jesus. And this is what Paul writes. Imagine this was a guy in prison. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, he's talking about people even in the household of Caesar. It reads, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Will you say that about your troubles at home and work? And he goes on, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard 
Think about what he calls the palace guard, the people who are imprisoning him, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why do you want to be relevant to the bad things in our culture? Why do you want to be relevant? You can speak about Jesus. Part of the reason is sometimes we don't know what is the gospel. In another section, Paul tells us what is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. This is what Paul says is the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. That's what we want Northland to be known for. Which you receive and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've, you've believed in vain. This is the gospel message. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the centrality of a church. If you want to know what is the mission of the church, the centrality is not a person, it's not a situation. The centrality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cross is what we declare, that Jesus is the one who came to lost people. He died for our sins because mankind is lost. And if you believe in him, you will be saved. So that declaration is for every one of us. The church is not the building, the church is the people. Do you declare that gospel? Do you go to places and people that you are known for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because as many as receive him, he gave the right to become the son of God. Can you just imagine in homes, in businesses, in different places we are telling the good news? Sometimes we have other news that we are gossiping. You know, will you just gossip the gospel and leave the results to God? You know, and gossiping the gospel is your lifestyle. Because the question was, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. You should be the walking Bible. You should be the one by what you say at work and what you do. Someone told me this weekend, well, I tell everybody I go to church. I said, did they ask you to tell them if you go to church? You don't need to tell them. You need to live it out. You need to live out the gospel and people will ask you questions. So that's what we see in a church that is sharing the good news. And if you have challenges or situation you don't know how to share the gospel we have many opportunities I know some congregants one she just told me before the service they're now 18 years married in this church when she came for another church she said me not speak English like some of us say you know what she did to understand the gospel and to teach and improve her English she was teaching in the children's department so Mark you're doing a great job Keep teaching in children's department. Maybe you can be able to know the gospel from the kid's point of view, and you can declare that. We have opportunities here. Talk to us, call the church, and come and see us. The second thing we see up, a partner in church, is the power to set us free from bondage. How do we see that in the book of Acts? So Paul, they are going about their routine. They're keeping a cadence of prayer and the word. And so they're just going, we were, we were met by a slave girl. Verse 16, chapter 16, who had a spirit in which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us and said, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, I think 
even demonic, satanic people, they can know the, the message of Jesus Christ. And so she was just causing confusion there. She was in bondage. She was, she was led by an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. And what did Paul do? And Paul declared, and the Bible says here, finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the evil spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Deliverance. Deliverance is only what King Jesus can do. There are no methods, there are no gimmicks, there are no tricks to deliver anyone. But it is the word of God and the spirit of God that can set people free. So in this situation, where they are having confusion, Paul just called upon King Jesus to be able to set this girl free. And she was free, and that, that we'll see in the next moment what that caused. The question for us is that, what is our own bondage? What is our own confusion? You know, we, we, we say, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm possessed by a spirit. Hey, but wait a minute. Every spirit that does not glorify Jesus Christ is an evil spirit. It could be lying, it could be cheating, it could be a wrong sex, sex, sexual relationship. Any one of these can be a something that is in bondage on you. And if you don't bring that bondage to King Jesus, he, you're not going to be set free. And whatever you, you dig into deeper, call upon Jesus to set you free. You know, we have some friends, they meet here, uh, celebrate recovery every, every Friday, 52 weeks of the year. They talk about our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. Many people need to be set free from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. And sometimes the very thing we think that somebody has hurt me, oh, the church did this to me, oh, this is what Christians do. That could be a bondage that you need to be set free. That could be something that you have to say, Jesus, my mouth, my mind, my lifestyle is in bondage. Set me free. Call upon him. He said, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. But also the Bible says in John, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Why hold on to your bandage? Let Jesus set us free by his power. And Paul had this to write to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. For it has been, I'm sorry about it, Philippians 1.19. For I know that through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, we turn out for my deliverance. Philippians 1.19. What happens to us that we stay in bondage can only be set free by prayer and the Spirit of God. Oh, I pray that we'll be a church that we walk in the victory, we walk in the power, that we've been set free by King Jesus so that we can be about his business of proclamation and that we carry kingdom people who are partnering. The next third thing we see in the God of a church that is our partnering as a church, it's not only the proclamation, it's not only the power that we see, but persecution is joyfully endured. Let's go to the book of Acts. How is Paul persecuted? When the owners realized that, verse 19, their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are, are throwing our city into opera by advocating customs unlawful to Rome. The crowd joined in, in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Can you see what is going on here? 
These people have just had people saved. They've delivered a girl from demonic possession, and now they are in jail. They put them, the Bible says, they put them in prison, and it was a maximum security prison. Nobody's, they're not going to go out any place. That was suffering, persecution. So there are two things we can, we can see in this text there, two principles we can draw. Persecution is when I am standing for the truth, when I'm standing for Jesus, when I'm not compromising the standards of the Bible or the church, and somebody's pushing against that, they are persecuting me for, for, for the job and uh, for, for the gospel. That is suffering. We have brothers and sisters in different parts of the world who today they may not be meeting. We communicate them with them. But this, they are persecuted because they are following Jesus. In that persecution, some of them suffer. Paul, who is writing this, is an example. Suffering is because I love Jesus, I just something I just can't get through. I have to walk my way through it in the suffering, but I love Jesus. And I'm doing it in the right. The Bible says we shouldn't suffer for the foolish things we do. We should suffer for what we do that is right for King Jesus. And Paul and his team, this is what they are facing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 29, Paul writes, for it has been granted to you, Philippians, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since, since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, and, I now, and now you hear that I still have. So in, in the gospel, in being a partner in church, seek the truth that you can know that I can suffer for it. Seek the truth to glorify Jesus because every believer, everyone that is following Jesus is going to suffer something. You know, this Christian life is not just nicey-nicey everything. There'll be times that are difficult. There'll be times you have to stand up and say, I love Jesus so I can walk my way through this. You know, I told you my wife accepted Christ in that school that the bakers have started after high school. She decided she's going to go to Bible college. And she came from a family where her father was polygamous, but also they were Muslims. And so for three years in college, there was a separation for her being in college and her dad. She comes home, dad doesn't speak to her, and uh, dad doesn't give her money for anything, and said so maybe she would turn back. You know, that could be a mix of suffering and persecution. But Jennifer stayed on. She continued, and relationships were developed during those years. That is persecuting and suffering for the gospel because many other boys and girls came to know Jesus Christ during those times. So Paul says, what do you do when you are suffering? And this is one of the popular verses we read in the book of Philippians. Uh, verse 4, Philippians 4, 4. That's with the same word, ends with it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Are you the griping and complaining and comparing Christians? Well, the church did this to me. The believers did this to me. The, the, the politics did this to me. The economy did this to me. Rejoice in the Lord, because in your rejoicing, you want to demonstrate a Christ-like life. So Paul, in this, in this situation, that is what he tells us, because that we advance the gospel. And fourthly, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He says, praises in prison transform lives. And what, where do we see the praises in the prison? 
in verse 25. They are put in jail, they're maximum security. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Well, that was just like some of the songs uh, MASH and the team letters. They were exalting Jesus Christ. They were on holy ground. Can you imagine being in prison and say, I'm standing on holy ground? Whatever were the tunes, they usually sang the Psalms those days or some things from the Pentateuch, but they were glorifying Jesus Christ. Let your suffering, let the things that you're in be a time to praise Jesus, that it will transform life. What happened in this case? Well, they are singing and others are listening, so we can say they were proclaiming. And there was an earthquake, and the jailer who had put these people in maximum security drew his sword. He was about to commit suicide. And what did he say? What must I do to be saved? And the team replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Are your praises, are your proclamation, are your is it demonstrating the gospel? So a guy who is going to commit suicide ends up being saved. What an amazing way that we can turn our troubles, our triumphs into gospel proclamation. And he did that. And all the others started to follow. What did Paul write to the Philippians? So the, the, the prison experience, number one, the prison experience, number two. He says in Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together, unity, as one for the faith of the gospel. The partner in church is always about the gospel being the cure, the praises given. So let's see how God is using our church. The church is each one of us believers, here and those of you online. You know, I told you about my, my wife and her father and the hospital the Baker started. In 1986, on our way to the United States, we were living in another country. We came home, and we only have a few days. And, it, and they said, he's sick in his hospital. He may not make it. So we went and visited the hospital. Dr. Ron was there. And what did we do? We shared the gospel with him. And I still remember that night when he turned his life over to Jesus, that he, he confessed his sin, he repented all of the business dealings he has been doing, and trusted Jesus. And that became another proclamation to the rest of the family. Almost all those kids that were born, they know Jesus, and back home they can proclaim it. So Paul now turns the corner a little bit with the church in Philippi. And now in this letter, he's going to say, you not only proclaim the, the, the gospel, you not only show the power of the gospel, you not only show the persecution and the praises you've gone. He said, let me tell you about what you have done to me. Because the book of Philippians is not only a thank you letter, a pastoral letter, but expression that Paul wanted to say, you provide that you are a generous church. And so in the, and the, the fifth point is, Possessions shared to meet the needs of the church. So we as believers, we should live in a community of other believers where we are always sharing what we had. The Philippian jailer showed hospitality. Lydia and her team showed hospitality. What is Paul saying about this church? What have they done? And this is what the church have done. He said in verse 10, Philippians 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. 
4.18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. And now I have received from Epaphroditus, his partner, in the, the gift you sent. They were a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was thankful, expressing the monetary gift that they had sent to him. He was writing the church and says, I thank you for what you have given to me. I rejoice. But also Paul was a believer who was content, filled with gratitude. He was thankful for even in the prison, he said, you are meeting my needs. And he writes in Philippians 4, 11 to 14. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so Paul is saying, I am thankful I, uh, you have given to me. But here is something that is unique about the Philippian church. 4.15, moreover, you Philippians, I hope this could be said of Northland, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, can you imagine church, uh, uh, Paul calling out the church, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Northland Church, if we want to be a flourishing church that is partnering with the gospel, we got to be this type of Philippian church. If we are partnering, let our possession, all that we owe, belong to King Jesus. We give it to him. We share with others. We bless the church because it is about the kingdom of Jesus. Paul is saying you are not giving because I'm asking. In your discipleship, in your partnering with the gospel, in your spiritual discipline, giving and sharing comes as a love we have for Jesus. I was preparing this, thank you, I was preparing this and a friend shared a poem with me written by John Wesley. That's behind me here, let me read it for us. Then we have some takeaways from this message. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as, as ever you can, as long as ever you can. Think about that. What is God giving to you that you will continue to say, I want to be a flourishing church. This is time for Northland Church. We're thinking about we, we can flourish if we are a partner in church expressing God's generosity. Let me give you uh, five takeaways and then we will talk about what you were handed when you came in. These are them. The gospel message is made known to neighbors and nations. You don't have to leave Central Florida to become a, a missionary. The gospel should be to all people you interact with. That's, I hope we see that today, proclaiming it by our lifestyle, by our lips, or whatever God gives to me. We have to live in boldly in the midst of bad social and cultural chaos. Don't make excuses because the world is doing this. You heard from Pastor Josh. God is not, God is not going to hold those people responsible. It's you and I. 
So we have to live boldly by what we hear, by what we say. We define Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Not, no, no political correctness. They live by the living of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in all circumstances, people, and things you love. I don't know what you're facing, but be a joyful Christian. In the book of Philippians, joy and rejoicing. Expressing thanks and gratitude for all the gifts in the church. This church, we thank God for your kindness, your generosity, financially, and serving with your gifts, times, and talents. Raise the Roof was a great example. Christmas House we're going into. All the ministries that are listed for this month of generosity. Those are ways we are grateful. We are thankful for giving. The Flourishing Church is on mission with God. So I want you, we're going to have a song in a moment. I want you to take out the, the sheet that was given to you when you came in today and look about all of those ministries that are listed for this month of November. You will see the slide up there. I want you during this song to prayerfully consider the sanctity of life. Everybody get wound up. Roe versus Wade, they did the turn it over. Well, what, what are you doing about it? The church is doing something. We, we are showing these ministries so you can know that we have a positive, proactive response. So at the back of that sheet, you will see things that this month, I pray that you will consider one of these. They'll be in the, in the cafe and the foyer. Consider one of these in a way that you can say, God, I want to partner for my church to flourish by these things. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to thank you for what you are doing for this church, to be a partnering church for the gospel, to be a church that we demonstrate the power of God in every spheres of life you've given to us. So I pray as my brothers and sisters reflect our gratitude, our generosity, we will come to a place where you'll say this, where there's life hope, where there's adoption, where there's Christmas house, where there's pregnancy center, something, Lord Jesus, that we glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.